Recorded live. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. This is Ann Graham Lotz with Daily Light for Daily Living. All around us are broken homes, broken hearts, broken hopes. But God never intended us to be broken. He didn't just create us, plop us down on planet Earth and say, Happy birthday, now you can guess your way through life. God, as our creator, has specific directions for our lives. Psalm 119.2 says, Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with a whole heart. If we live according to his directions, our lives work. We're blessed, and we experience life the way it was meant to be lived. If we ignore or reject his directions, we do so to our own detriment and experience much less than he intended. His directions form a pattern that prevents breakage of our lives to help mend the brokenness already present. Listen to me. Trust in his word, then follow his direction. Your life will work. This is Ann Graham Lotz. Hi, I'm Johnny Erickson Tata, and everywhere you look in scripture, widows and orphans have a very special place in God's heart. But just why did God make such a big deal of caring for widows and orphans? Because widows cannot help that their husbands die. Orphans aren't responsible for their parents leaving them. The predicament of the orphan and the widow is the responsibility of God. He allowed it in his sovereign will. And so, if this is such a great concern for God, shouldn't it be for us as well? In Jeremiah chapter 49, God says, I will protect the orphans who remain among you. Your widows, too, can depend on me for help. And the way God will go about doing that is through your home, your hospitality, and your love. Surely you know a woman whose husband died or have heard of children in foster care. Today, make God's concern for them your concern.
I with the uncircumcised. Them that go down to the pit. Princesses of the north, all of, all of them, and call Zionists gone down with the plain. Came of the mighty they lie uncircumcised with their sword and bear their shame with hell shall see them comforted fell and all his army slain by the sword. be laid in the midst of the uncircumcised with the sword, even fell in all his Ezekiel, the 32nd chapter, verses 28 to 32, the word of God. To our reading from Book of Ezekiel.
This is Morning Inspirations with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. Dad, 
lost a grandmother. Of those in hospital. Surgery this morning. I'm going to get ready to do surgery this week. Or some type of procedure. Picked up those doors. And go to church this morning. But every minister, every pastor who's going to bring the word this morning. Those men and women was to be lift up. Empty. Oh Lord. Very present in the sound of my voice. We thank you so much. Last but not least, Lord. Back at the top of the hour. Early Sunday morning. Early Sunday morning gospel program. Thank you.
just as you can copy a friend's math homework, but not the hours of studying he put in, understanding all the steps in the process. There are some kinds of preparation we can only do for ourselves, spiritual reserves that no one else can build up for. It's something we each have to receive, cherish, and deepen in our own souls for ourselves. That's the Reverend Beth Sanders. And today she brings you an inspiring message of faith and hope. I'm Peter Wallace. This is Day One. Welcome to Day One, the weekly program that brings you outstanding preachers from America's mainline Protestant churches, sharing insight and inspiration from God's Word for your life. Here's our host, Peter Wallace, to introduce this week's speaker. Thanks, Sherry. Today on Day One, we're delighted to have with us the Reverend Beth Sanders, who serves as senior pastor of Second Avenue United Methodist Church in Rome, Georgia. Before coming to Rome two years ago, she was senior pastor of First United Methodist Church of College Park, Georgia, for six years. Before that, was an associate pastor of Peachtree Road United Methodist Church in Atlanta. Beth is a graduate of Emory University and received a law degree from the University of Georgia. She earned her Master of Divinity degree from Candler School of Theology at Emory. And she's currently working on a Doctor of Ministry degree from Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary in Chicago. Beth, welcome to day one. Thank you. It's a great joy to be here. You had a career as an attorney for some years before heading to seminary, and you're not the only preacher that we've had on day one who made that shift from the court to the church. But how did your calling to the ministry unfold for you? No, I'm surely not the only one. When I was getting my Master of Divinity at Candler, several of my classmates there were also lawyers Hmm. who had chosen this different calling. The path started for me probably when I finished college with an English and philosophy degree Hmm. and wasn't quite sure what I was going to do with that, but I knew that I liked to write, Mm -hmm. and I thought, lawyers write, (laughs) I'll do that. I got into law school and started pursuing that path. And at the time, though, as I look back, I might have seen places where God was calling me Mm -hmm. at that time. It was nothing that was anywhere near my radar screen Mm -hmm. of possibility at the time. So I pursued the law degree and began to practice law in civil litigation. And all the while, I was feeling less and less that that was really fulfilling that calling that was within me and still unable to fully articulate it. But at the same time, I was becoming more and more involved in the ministry at Peachtree Road United Methodist Church. I had been raised in the Southern Baptist Church and spent some time in the Episcopal Church as a young person in college and law school. Um, But as I came back to Atlanta to begin my career, I felt right at home spiritually at that church and as a young adult began to pursue my spiritual calling much more deeply then. 
And now you're working on a Doctor of Ministry degree. What's the focus of your project? I'm in the church leadership um, portion of the Doctor of Ministry degree there. And one thing that I have noticed as a pastor of smaller congregations is that there are few young adults worshiping in them, whereas in the larger congregation where I felt my spirituality deepen as a young adult, smaller congregations feel uh, a lack of that and, and a fear for their future because young adults are not there. And yet I find that the time of being a young adult is such a fruitful and it's a time of great maturing and fruitfulness for deepening in spirituality then. And so my project is designed to help smaller congregations find ways to reach out to young adults and to not be afraid of their not being present there, but to look at ways that young adults express their spirituality and, and reach out and become more of a community that embraces young adults. You've been serving as senior pastor of Second Avenue United Methodist Church in Rome, Georgia, since the middle of 2012. Tell us something about the people and the ministries of your congregation. People of Second Avenue are very loving and open and, and welcoming. They're a great congregation of hospitality. Mm. There are many in the congregation who are in their empty nest phase mm -hmm. of life having retired in Rome, and so they are passionate about sharing their time and resources that they have as empty nesters uh, with the community, and they are very active in giving and also welcoming youth into our congregation. In recent months, we have grown a youth group from about four kids to three times that number, and wow. so I, I think that that reflects well on the ways that they seek to reach out to the community of Rome. Well, your sermon today is based on the gospel reading from Matthew chapter 25, and you also talk about the Old Testament text from Joshua 24, but would you read the gospel text for us? I'd be happy to. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a shout, Look, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, No, there will not be enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. 
this is one of those parables of Jesus that's a little problematic. It comes across as rather harsh towards those five foolish bridesmaids. How should we approach these sorts of troubling parables? It is certainly troubling and confounding, and that's the thing about parables. We Mm -hmm. have to just stick with them and keep turning them over and looking from a different perspective and also to look at it in connection with other Mm -hmm. parables and other things that we find Jesus saying throughout the Gospels so that they can converse with one another Mm -hmm. and um, we can be in conversation with them. Beth, we look forward to learning more about this in your sermon, Soul-Filling Community of Faith. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. And if you'd like to listen again to today's program or read or share a transcript of Beth Sanders' sermon, visit our website at dayone.org. Or for a free printed sermon transcript, call us toll-free at 1-888-411-DAY1. community of the church, trying to make its way with new believers in a hostile world, trying to tear community apart. Many of those to whom Matthew writes had been excommunicated from the synagogue and abandoned by their families, facing the imminent threat of a hostile empire without the comfort and safety of those supporting structures. Christian believers were struggling just to survive in that dark time. So there's urgency to form a bold and committed union with other bereft souls in a community of faith. It was a similar situation for the Hebrews in this day's reading from Joshua. As a fledgling community with only God's word as comfort, they are trying to make their way in a hostile world. Joshua had led them into the promised land occupied by intimidating nations with high walls and attractive idols, and they too faced imminent threat without similar fortification or defense. The Hebrews were struggling just to survive on that crucial threshold between wilderness wandering and settlement in God's promise. There is urgency to solidify their commitment to God and to one another in a new community of faith. So if community formation is so urgent, why do Jesus and Joshua seem to make acceptance into it so difficult in the lectionary readings this day? In his farewell speech, Joshua rallies the people with exhortation and invitation to serve the Lord as he and his family pledged to do. Yet when they respond enthusiastically, remembering how God has already freed and protected them, Joshua flatly rejects the people's pledge, slamming the door in their faces with an unexpectedly terse and emphatic, you can't serve the Lord. Jesus' invitation to the community of believers is equally confounding. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. The ten seem equivalent in their response and enthusiasm at first, Ten lamps burning, ten bridesmaids sleeping, ten bridesmaids waking up, 
hearing the groom arrive and ten bridesmaids excited to get the party started. But, uh-oh, only five have enough oil with them to keep their lamps lit. So while the five who are running on empty go out looking for a 24-7 convenience store, the others go into the party and shut the door. Palace groom refuses to open up, even when they return well supplied with lamps burning, crying their confession of faith, Lord, Lord. But the door remains slammed in their face with an unexpectedly terse and emphatic, I don't know you. On its face, this parable fits with our human expectation for responsible citizenship in a competitive society. Those who store up for themselves and refuse to share seem to come out on top. So then keep it all for yourself, even when it means another woman will have to go out in the dangerous dark of midnight with no light. You can even gossip and snicker about her situation when she leaves and turn the music up so you can't hear her banging on the door to come in. But this parable does not fit with other things Jesus says in Matthew about not judging that splinter in your brother or sister's eye, about how if we knock, the door will be opened, or about forgiving not just seven, but 77 times. It does not fit with the story of Jesus blessing five loaves and two fish shared among thousands of people until all were satisfied with abundant leftovers does not fit with Jesus' blessing children or the search for the one lost lamb. It doesn't even fit with that other confounding parable where the kingdom is like a landowner who includes everyone in the work of the vineyard and pays them all equally no matter what time they arrive. Sesame Street song goes, one of these things is not like the others. This one just doesn't feel like Jesus or sound like the gospel. If we are confounded by Joshua's farewell speech that seems to frustrate the very commitment to community that he has spent his life guarding, if we are frustrated by Jesus' comparison of the kingdom to ten bridesmaids with flickering lamps, maybe that is because the kind of community to which they invite us is unlike any other, and its fullness requires more of its individual members than we care to admit. Have we forgotten about the narrow gate, the weeping and grinding of teeth, the parable of the weeds and the wheat, or that other parable about the one tossed out of the wedding for being improperly dressed? Jesus said those things in Matthew 2. This, too, is the gospel of the Lord. As much as we want to argue against or rewrite the ending of this parable, we cannot do it. Because this is not just any wedding party, nor is this regular lamp oil like a commodity to be traded, sold, gifted, loaned, or bartered according to the uniform commercial code. As much as the wise bridesmaids may want to share, they cannot do it. Because as many who have studied this parable closely realize, this kind of spiritual fuel you just cannot get from someone else. Just as you can copy a friend's math homework, but not the hours of studying he put in, understanding all the steps in the process. 
just as a surgeon may successfully transplant a heart from one body to another, but can never transfer its original recipient's love for her children or her passion for crossword puzzles and gardening. There are some kinds of preparation we can only do for ourselves, spiritual reserves that no one else can build up for us. It's something we each have to receive, cherish, and deepen in our own souls for ourselves. So this parable impresses upon us the importance and the urgency of fueling up. As all ten bridesmaids awaken to realize, the time for acquiring oil and building reserves will run out suddenly and unexpectedly. Dark times come into every life, and it's in the darkness that we most need the sustenance of the kind of oil Jesus is talking about, assurance of the abundant promises of God, peace that passes understanding, and a depth of hope that can sustain us through the darkness of disappointments and failures, devastating loss and grief, closed doors of all kinds. We will need hope urgently when our child is sick or parent helpless. We will need peace urgently when we realize there may not be enough money to pay the bills at the end of the month. We will need love urgently when we wonder whether a relationship will last or we fear how long it must be endured. We will need joy urgently when the pain of loss and grief seems never-ending. Dark times come to every generation. Today's young adults are as worried about their future as are we older generations who hand it off to them. No matter the results of last Tuesday's midterm election, present reality presages a grim future for emerging generations. The context into which young adults are coming of age is characterized by the unrest of terrorist attacks, unrelenting war, economic instability, and environmental destruction. So they turn to dystopian novels, video games, and stories about zombies and apocalyptic end times to help them imagine worst-case scenarios and begin to deal with the terrifying crises that lie ahead, hoping reality will not be as horrifying as what we imagine. Polls tell us that young adults trend toward having no religious affiliation, self-identifying as spiritual but not religious. In a time when deeply spiritual experiences are hard to discern, among the sound bites, tweets, Snapchats, and Instagrams that deliver only fleeting, short-term returns and an insatiable appetite for more, young adults seek spiritual fuel from experiences like enjoying time with pets, family, and friends, preparing and sharing food, and finding God in the beauty of nature, what Elizabeth Drescher calls the four Fs of contemporary American spirituality, family, Fido, friends, and food. But the parable speaks of a source of sustaining hope and spiritual sustenance beyond what any of these can provide. Because while we each have to seek our own spiritual sustenance, the irony is that we usually discover what we need in community with others, 
seeking spiritual fuel together. Jesus emphasizes the importance of faithful community throughout the Gospel of Matthew, and he tells us that life in Christ happens when two or more are gathered in his name. That is when Christ promises to be with us, and we can be assured the Holy Spirit is among us as we are gathered together, each replenishing our spiritual reserves. Given everything Jesus tells us about community in the Gospel of Matthew, he cannot be satisfied with such a fractured community as these ten bridesmaids, and neither should we ignore our discomfort with its ending. Thank goodness we hear this parable while the bridegroom delays and the door to the party is still open. We have the blessing of being ten bridesmaids together, each individually seeking deeply satisfying spiritual sustenance, and together receiving the nurture of a spirit-filling community of faith. Beside one another, we receive assurance from word and sacrament that sin and death do not have the last word. Beside one another, prayer rises up without ceasing, even if in silence or sighs too deep for words. Beside one another, we study God's word and share experiences of that word living in the world. Beside one another, we serve a world in need and witness God's constant work of resurrection and transformation. Beside one another, we sing, and the songs of faith imprint deeply with enduring reserves of grace and joy. Beside one another, God's spirit moves to meet the reality of human suffering with the mystery of hope. Beside one another in the community of faith is where the love of God continues to appear in surprising and unexpected ways. That is why Joshua insists each one of the Hebrews commit themselves to being a community of faith not just on one day of intense emotion, but through a lifetime of inclining their hearts toward the Lord. Ten bridesmaids sit together, holding their flickering lamps against the darkness, waiting expectantly for the party to start. Because that community of faith is where we hear the good news that the bridegroom is surely coming to make all things new. And Jesus already is among us offering those enduring gifts of the Spirit. All of those things we cannot borrow or lend, we cannot buy or sell, we cannot earn or withhold. Our spiritual sustenance is right there all along. We simply come to receive the gift, to share it, and to cherish it day and night in sure and certain hope that for each one together in this community of faith, the best is yet to come. This is Sherry Miller. How is the Day One Ministry helping people and why should you support it? Episcopal priest and author Dr. Chuck Robertson says, Day one, the very name says it. It's about new beginnings and fresh starts. 
It's about hearing that unexpected but desperately needed word that seems to be meant just for you. And Baptist minister Dr. Bill Self says, day one is a healthy proclamation of the Christian gospel with maturity and integrity and is worthy of our strong support. Please give generously to enable day one to continue to proclaim this much needed message on the radio and online. Send your gift to day one 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305. That's 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305. Or call us at 1-888-411-DAY1. Or give securely online at dayone.org. On behalf of everyone at Day One, thank you for your support. Beth Sanders offers some final thoughts on her message today with our host, Peter Wallace. Beth, you drew a fascinating connection between the passage from Joshua 24 and this parable of Jesus' in Matthew 25. In both cases, the people were struggling to survive in a dark time, trying to make their way in a hostile world. And in both cases, the way to do that was through committing to God and community together. I think that's so relevant to us today. And yet so many people are wandering away from religious community. Why do you think it's so hard to make that commitment to be involved in community as a way of surviving in a troubling world? Well, that's exactly what Joshua and Jesus are talking about in these passages, why they are so insistent Mm -hmm. that the people make that individual commitment in order to be a part of the community And then, in turn, it's from becoming a part of that community that we draw sustenance Mm -hmm. individually. So it has to be both. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's that our society really, in many ways, encourages us toward individualism Mm -hmm. and striving on our own for things. And yet we do have deeply within us that longing to be supported Mm -hmm. in a community and so it's something that we have to struggle against in the hostile environment around us which is what Joshua and Jesus are helping us to do in this passage. And yet as you mentioned in both of these cases Joshua and Jesus seem to make acceptance into this community very difficult and consequently they seem very harsh about it. You said maybe that's because the kind of community to which they invite us is unlike any other, and its fullness requires more of its individual members than we care to admit. Would you say more about the expectations that God has of those who seek to enter into this community of believers? That's right. That There are so many communities that we become a part of in our lives today. There are civic organizations and all kinds of cyber communities Mm -hmm. and all of those are ones that one can commit to for a time but it's easy to defriend Mm -hmm. someone on (laughs) Facebook or just to choose not to pay your dues or attend a civic organization of which you have been a part but because God is present the Holy Spirit is active in communities of faith, it's really not so easy 
to step away from them. And it does require something, it requires a, a longing for that to fully give yourself to such a community and commit to struggling alongside others who are facing the same things. Yet within that is where we draw strength mm -hmm. to keep going. Beth, what's one thing from your sermon today that you hope our listeners will keep in mind this week? I hope listeners will return to their communities of faith for worship alongside one another and in that experience to receive that gift of being beside others who are praying together, who are reading the Word of God together, who are living it out together, and through that to receive the sustenance that we each need for what we face in life. Beth Sanders, thank you for being with us. Thank you. Day One is the voice of America's mainline Protestant churches. Visit us online at dayone.org. Our program is recorded and edited by Donald Jones and produced by Peter Wallace. Thank you for joining us. I'm Sherry Miller wishing you all God's blessings on day one and forever.
great churchgoers looking for the little morning inspiration? Well, listen to Morning Inspirations and the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
This is Morning Inspirations with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
Mind Block Radio. Turn it up.
Morning Inspirations here on TalkShoe and Jam Radio. Our Sunday School lesson is coming from is, uh, Knowing God's Truth Within Us. Dark Topic. Dark Youth Topic. Match, matching Words with Actions. Devotional reading, First Peter First Peter one thirteen to twenty three passage Romans two seventeen to twenty nine key verses is Romans two and thirteen background scripture is Psalms one hundred four and Romans two fourteen to twenty nine. Also, I've read some of it in good lesson. History is Cleveland. In my heart. Good morning to you and yours. Let's get ready for Sunday school. Do you love everybody?
Six miles. 
there really a worldwide flood as we read about in the Bible? This is the Creation Moments Minute. Today, it is considered scholarly to reject the Bible's account of a worldwide flood. Some say the flood recorded in the Bible was only a local event. The problem with these scholarly claims is that there were too many witnesses who disagree with them. We can test these scholars' claims. If the Bible's account of a worldwide flood is true, it was witnessed by every person on earth. The story of this event would have been passed down to their descendants and spread across the whole face of the earth. Researchers have cataloged some 270 stories of an ancient, destructive flood in various cultures around the world. A large majority of these stories have been shown to predate any Christian influence. We'll take a look at some of those tomorrow. For Creation Moments Minute, I'm Darren Marlar. Larry was late for an interview. In his panic, he grew reckless. He put the pedal to the metal and rocketed down the highway in the wrong direction. Now Larry was more than late. He was late and lost. His speed only took him further from his appointment. This is Howard Butt, Jr. of Laity Lodge, and I've been on that road, lost, late, and reactive. We can't always control our circumstances, but the panic factor, that's up to us. The psalm that says God is our refuge and strength also says be still and know that he is God. The next time you're lost, in any sense, the best move may be to pause a moment and know God in the high calling of our daily work. For more information, visit ourdailywork.org. When the Bible and landlords don't mix, religious housing discrimination is on the rise and what you can do about it. Today's story on the Legal Alert is straight from the case files of the Christian Law Association. Once again, here's attorney David Gibbs, Jr. A member of Pastor Bill's church called him when her apartment landlord informed her she would have to remove signs containing scripture verses from her apartment window. We advise Pastor Bill that the landlord, as a private landowner, has a right to prevent all renters from displaying signs in windows. This restriction must be present either in the written terms of the lease, an oral agreement, or general property rules. If the issue is not addressed by the landlord and no municipality sign ordinances apply, We advised him that she's absolutely within her rights to keep the scripture signs in place. If the landlord was insistent, we recommended the tenant file a religious discrimination complaint with the local housing authority. Unfortunately, many are having to do that across America. Today's program is just a taste of what you'll find in our free monthly newsletter. Sign up online at christianlaw.org. That's christianlaw.org. This is Ann Graham Lotz with Daily Light for Daily Living. All around us are broken homes, broken hearts, broken hopes. But God never intended us to be broken. He didn't just create us, plop us down on planet Earth, and say, Happy birthday. Now you can guess your way through life. God as our creator has specific directions for our lives. Psalm 119.2 says, Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, 
who seek him with a whole heart. If we live according to his direction, our lives work. We're blessed and we experience life the way it was meant to be lived. If we ignore or reject his direction, we do so to our own detriment and experience much less than he intended. His directions form a pattern that prevents breakage of our lives to help mend the brokenness already present. Listen to me. Trust in his word, then follow his direction. Your life will work. This is Ann Graham Lotz. To follow Jesus, I've decided to follow Jesus. I decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Pray with me, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner, 
Jesus, thank you that you loved me enough that you became a man and died on a cross, paid the price for all the wrong things that I have done. I'm sorry for my sin. It's my sin that puts you on that cross. And I'm sorry. I don't want to live in rebellion to you anymore. I ask you to forgive me. And tonight I open my heart. And I invite you into my life to be my Savior and my Lord. I believe, Jesus, you are the Son of God. I believe you died for me to pay the price for all the wrong things that I've committed against God and against man. I believe that on the third day, by the power of God, you were raised from the dead as living proof that my trust in you tonight is not in vain. I believe that as Christ was raised from the dead, so tonight, Almighty God, you are raising me from the dead. From the death of sin, you are giving me a new life. The life of Jesus Christ. Oh God, on my testimony and the belief in my heart, and according to your word, at this moment, I believe I am saved. I am saved. I am saved. Oh, let me ask you, friends, in closing tonight, have you done this? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you come to that obedience of faith? Have you come to that place of true repentance and true faith? Have you turned around? Have you forsaken your sin? Have you turned around? Have you forsaken your sin? And are you trusting alone tonight in Jesus Christ for your salvation? For there is no other way. There is no other message. For there is no other way. There is no other message. Oh, come to him. Come to the Savior tonight. Come to him just as you are. Come to him in your sin. Come to him in all your needs. And cast yourself upon his mercy and upon his infinite grace. Cast yourself upon his mercy and upon his infinite grace. Cast yourself wholly to him. And you too will enter into that joy of sins forgiven, peace with God, and eternal, abundant life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I say thanks for the things you've done for me. Things so undeserved, yet you gave to prove your love to me. The voices of a
and ever hope to be.